I guess some little winded uh, preacher, a winded preacher goes a long time. I didn't realize uh, the last couple times I went almost an hour here. So <laughs> I'll get you into the scripture verse right away, Matthew 12, if you'd get there. But I always like to start off with a, a couple of stories or illustrations of uh, how God has worked. Uh, <clears throat> the last time I preached something like this message that I'm going to give tonight, which I promise I'll be sensitive to because it's, it's hard for me to preach when we preach about hell. Um, because I really want to see us to have a desire for pity. Uh, and the only way you can get a desire for pity is to look into hell for a little bit. And we're going to do that in just a second. Uh, there's, a, there's a man, and I'm going to give you his name. His name is Olaf. Now, Olaf, last time I preached something like this, not exactly the same message, uh, Olaf is a struggling alcoholic. And uh, I was at a city rescue mission down in Albany, New York, the least biblical place in America, city in America, and gave a message similar to this, and he literally waited for 30 minutes after people were coming up to talk to me about their problems and stuff like that, just so he could talk to me. He was a man who made, made good in life, uh, got a nice wife and kids, and, uh, and alcohol took them all away from him. And it was one of the saddest things, stories I've heard, and he with tears running down his eyes, he said, Preacher, will you continue to pray for me? So every time I preach a message about hell, um, I remember Olaf, and I, and I pray for him. And I would like you to do that also. Another interesting story was, uh, uh, is that song, The Old Rugged Cross. Uh, well, almost two years ago is when things started to really take a, a turn for us that was going to be... a. Uh, a couple of years in the valley, I guess, and uh, and one and one one of the things that happened during that time was we lost our granddaughter. That was one thing. Uh, my family moved; all of my family members moved away. They're all part of our church, and then all of a sudden they moved away, and, and they're big parts of the church in different parts of the country. But another thing happened was a man that I loved dearly in our church, uh, an 80-year-old man that had Lou Gehrig's, uh, was dying. He's one of my best friends, one of my oldest best friends, and he was dying at the time. Um, but I want to tell you a little story that happened about him when his wife died just uh, two years prior to his death. Um, I, was, I was in bed one night, and it was late at night, and I get a phone call from, uh, from him, and he says, he says uh, Marge just died, and he says, uh, and she's, she's, right, she's still right here in the house, and could you please get here as, as quickly as possible? And it surprised us because we had no idea that Marge was that sick, that, you know, that she would... Uh, pass away like that. So, uh, how many are familiar with uh, KNVBC, um, Jack Tribert's radio station out in California? Uh, I listen to that a lot. I now listen a lot from Pensacola because I like that Still Waters one without the lyrics in there so I can listen to it. Uh, but I listen to that a lot and it's on my phone, right? And on my phone, as I got in a car, my car just automatically brings it on and it starts to play. And so I'm I'm riding up there with KNV, KNVBC playing, and I'm trying to get there as fast as I can. Now picture this, right? Uh, Marge's favorite hymn in the church was the old rugged cross. So I pull into the driveway. I shut the phone off, completely off, because I'm afraid that, you know, with that music, I didn't want any, that music coming in when I was going in to try to, uh, the, the family was in chaos at that moment. The, uh, the police officers were there. It's a big family, like seven kids, and they're all over the place, and, 
and mom's in the chair, and they're just, it was just really chaotic. And I walked in there and I said, Lord, what am I going to do? I, I got to get this family together. I got to pull these, these people together uh, because they just, they just couldn't handle it. They were just devastated at that moment. And here was Seymour, my, uh, my friend. He was just sitting there in the chair, you know, and I'm glad you're here, Pastor. Thanks for coming. And I said, well, let me see if I can get everybody into the living room. I said, at least we can pray. So I, I, I called everybody into the living room, and, and uh, they're all sitting there, and it's just total grief and chaos. And I said, I, I really want to pray for you. And all of a sudden, out of my pocket, the old rugged cross came on. True story. Just as loud as could be. And it started, and they were singing, the old rugged cross, oh how... And all of a sudden, you could hear a pin drop in that living room because that was her favorite hymn. How God does that, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful how he does that? I didn't even have to reach into my pocket. I just started crying and started praying with tears running down my face. Tears started running down their face. And it's almost like peace came over that house. And everybody except for one of the kids, that's all. One of the kids went outside. Everybody in that house was now settled that this was... This was God doing this. this. God had taken her home. Amazing God we serve, amen? Yeah. Amazing God we serve, and I hope you understand that and, uh, and believe in miracles, because I still do. Amen. I do. I, you know, I'm not a charismatic, but I'll tell you, I believe in miracles, and I, and I believe you can still do them today, and I watch them, actually. I've watched them do several miracles throughout my ministry uh, that, have, that actually confounded my mind that uh, I didn't think they could happen. In fact, I even doubted they would happen. But yet God said, you know, don't ever doubt me. Don't ever doubt me. Matthew 12, I'm going to preach on a subject about developing a, a passion for pity. And I'm going, to, I'm going to really, this is not something I like doing, but we're going to take a look down tonight into hell. Last night we took a look down from the cross, but tonight I think we should take a look down into hell you see, because the first day we took a look into the prayer house, and then when last night we looked into the passion for, for people, uh, when we heard Christ and uh, what he said and how he looked out and what he saw that day. But I don't believe with all my heart that you can really get a, develop a really good passion for people or prayer or the, uh, you know, people or prayer or anything else in a passion is unless you have a, a really... A strong belief that if you don't trust on Christ as your Savior, if people don't trust on Christ as their Savior, they're going to end up in the lake of fire. Now, that's a hard thing. It really is for us to believe. We love to talk about heaven, and we love to see uh, people there. But the sad thing is, is at every funeral, I can't put everybody into heaven. That's one of the hardest things of my ministry is having to preach a message when I don't think even they even made a, a profession of faith to, go, to be there. Uh, but, you know, all I can say is, is that, you know, whether they went there or not, I can tell you if they are there, they're praying for you tonight. And they're praying that you would reach their families, right? They're praying that you would uh, be a committed soul winner, that you would be, have a pity on them enough to be so motivated that you would have a desire to reach everybody that you could possibly reach while you have time on this earth. Like my brother uh, Jeff said today, Brother Jeff, he said, you know, we should be more concerned about our last day than we are about the last days. 
what we can get done in before our last day on earth uh, because so many people are so concerned about the last days. I'm not really worried about the last days. Man, when that trumpet sounds, I'm out of here, so I'm not worried about that. But I am worried about those who are left behind and those who are going to have to suffer through the tribulation period. Um, I, it really bothers me. And those that won't trust on Christ. Matthew 12, I was talking to my, uh, my grandchildren down in Pensacola, and I said to them, uh, how do we know that it was a whale that swallowed Jonah? And one of my grandchildren said, well, um, you, you can't know that because our teacher told us it doesn't tell us that it was a whale. I said, well, your teacher's wrong. Your teacher's wrong. And I took him to the verse where it says, where Jesus says, in the belly of the whale. He actually called it a whale. That's the problem today Amen. with intellectualism. Is, uh, we, we, we have to take the full counsel of God Amen. right, and compare everything to everything. Jot and tittle. And you'll find out things that you, that you didn't know uh, just by listening to what Jesus said and tying it into what actually happened uh, before, before he came. And this is, one, this is the passage. Verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the what? whale's belly... <laughs> So shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, I take the Bible literally. Amen. He says, hell is in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented. They repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater then Jonas is here. Father, please, I pray, lay upon my heart the pity that's on yours. And may I convey it in a way, Lord, that will help them see it also. I really love this church, Lord, and love their pastor. And I'm loving their people uh, in ways they'll never know. I'm so thankful for the relationships that we have developed here and the friendships we've made. And I don't want them ever to go away. I, I just I want them to be our friends forever. So, Father, I pray as I preach a message that really yanks on my heart, Lord, I pray that I'm sensitive uh, to the Spirit's leading and, I, and that I would not uh, say anything I should not say, but only convey a truth uh, that would help in this Passion Week. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Seeing all of the evil around us in the events of the day we live in, Jesus foretold us where to look, didn't he? He said, look up. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, he says, and lift up your eyes or your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Right? That's where we're supposed to look right now. While the evil days are around us, we're supposed to look up because it's, and look to him. Now we're supposed to look for his coming, yes, and we're also supposed to look for his help during these times of these uh, travesties that are going on around the world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't take a rocket science scientists to realize that Jesus is coming Amen. and that he's coming very, very, very soon. It's very, very close. I, I really believe that with all my heart. Uh, I, I, I've never seen so many things happen uh, in, in prophetically as it's happened in these last, say, 10 years that 
uh, would say that he, he almost has to come sometime soon. I mean, it could be another 100 years, but I want to believe that it's going to be in my lifetime. I would love to believe that. I'd like to be raptured up, wouldn't you? I think that'd be pretty fun. Uh, I always dreamt of that as a kid. I remember saying before I was even saved, Lord, when you come, I'd like to be brought right up into your arms. And, uh, and, that's, what I'm, and that's what I'm still looking for to this day as an elderly man. But it doesn't take a rocket science to know we're in trouble right now. And uh, it's close. And it will, it will matter much. Now listen to me closely. It's going to matter much on who you fix your eyes upon during these evil days or you will be overtaken by them. Now, he's going to protect you. You know, he's going to be with you. He's going to be over you. And he's going to be around you. You know, there's going to be a hedge around you. All that stuff is going to happen for you because that's who he is, and you're his children. But there's going to be times when it's going to be so overwhelming that you're going to be flat in your face praying, please, Lord, you know, spare these people from what's, what's about to happen. So with that said... I'm looking forward to his coming, aren't you? Amen. Yeah, I am. I'm really looking forward to his coming. And with it, now, Jesus spent three days, it says, in the belly of the earth. But thank God Sunday's coming, amen? <laughs> I keep thinking about that. You know, I thought about the cross. We talked about the cross last night. But really, we're, we're, what are we shooting for? Sunday here. Resurrection Day, right? And thank God Sunday's coming. Every week I look at that. I just look, wait. Thank God Sunday's coming. Uh, that's what I look for every week to get to that day and think about the resurrection. So, Looking up for his coming is good for every believer concerning personal hope. But I want to suggest to you something tonight, that looking down is better for us as believers regarding having his passion for people. One of the most sobering and humbling moments we face on earth is when we look down into an open grave. Unfortunately, I've had to look there hundreds of times in ministry. And stand there as I watch my loved ones or my congregate members being lowered down into the ground. In that moment, listen, reality sets in. For me and anybody that's in, that, in, my, in the presence of that uh, uh, gravesite at that day, reality sets in. That this life is only temporary. And soon it will pass and we'll be laid down into that grave also. We need to be prepared for that. But we also need to prepare others for that. It's a sobering experience. Uh, sometimes when I, I tell, when I stand at the gravesite, I tell them, look around you. You know, these are all people that wanted to make it in this world. They wanted to make a, they wanted to be successful in this world. But this is where we all end up. You know, there's doctors, there's, there's laymen, there's all kinds of people lay, laying around you. So look around you. They are all trying to do the same thing, just trying to make it in this world, I said. So it, it helps you to look above you. And then as I end it, I usually say, and then we look down before us, a loved one gone. And the only, thing, only other place to look right now during this grief time is look within us. You know, do you have Christ in your heart? Because that's what's going to give you the peace to get through this trying time or this grief. The only way, hope we have of escaping the grave and hell is Jesus Christ. That's Amen. it. That's it. And the way out of here in this sin-cursed world without Jesus Christ is a trip downward. It's a trip downward. First stop at the grave and our final destination being hell. And that's very, very sobering news. And one most people don't want to talk about. And I'm always careful even preaching about this subject. 
I don't want to seem dogmatic or arrogant about anything, especially when it comes to this subject, because this is a tender subject. subject. It's needful for us to face the reality of death because when you look down past the grave into hell, you realize why God took such desperate message, measures of crucifying his own son to save you out of it. The truth is, if you don't look down past the grave into hell and let it grab hold of your soul, especially tonight, it'll, it'll never motivate you to look up and help others to do so. Does that make sense, everyone? It just won't motivate you. Um, if we look into the, into the hell the Bible describes and are more traumatized by what we see and what we hear, what we feel, what we smell, what we taste, we will, unless we do that, we'll never appreciate how deep God's love is for us. As a matter of fact, I, I don't trust, and I'm sorry uh, when I say this, I mean, I'm not being uh, self-righteous or anything. But I, I don't trust any preacher of the gospel who stands behind this sacred desk and says he loves people but never says anything about hell. And never says anything about hell. Keeping people out of hell was the passion of Christ that revealed the love of God. Amen. It's what brought him down, right, to have mercy on our sinful souls. So the reality of hell sets in when we look into hell, and the Bible describes all five senses. Did you know that? All five senses. In fact, they say we know more about the universe than we do about hell. But that's not true. Not if you've got a Bible in your hand. Because we actually know more about hell than we know about heaven, because Jesus preached more about hell than he did about heaven. So are you ready to look down for a minute? If you are, would you close your eyes with me for just a minute and pray? As Brother Jeff just said, let it be sensitive. Now, I'm not going to say the prayer for you, but if you just ask God to be sensitive, make you sensitive to what you see, and tell him that you want him to move your heart tonight, to revive it, to make it alive again for the passion he has for people and then thank him for it. In Jesus' name. When you look down into hell, here's the first thing you see. You see a bottomless pit. Now, I've got a theory about that and I'm going to share that in just a minute. But listen to John in Revelation 9, 1 and 2. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and there arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, they say, uh, I looked this up, they say the deepest hole on planet Earth is the Kola Superdeep Borehole. It's in Russia. Anybody familiar with that? Any scientists in here tonight? It goes uh, about seven and a half miles deep, um, and it's uh, approximately... 3,959 miles to the center of the earth. So if it's seven and a half miles deep and it's 3,959 miles to the center of the earth, this means the deepest hole on the planet only reached 0 .002 of the distance needed to get to the center. You know what that tells me? It's a long ways down to hell and a long ways to fall for all of eternity. They say 
we know far more about the universe than we do about the center of earth, but that's really not true. Just that fact alone. Hell is not only a very hot place, but it's also a very large place, the Bible says, and it's in the center of the earth. Throughout my career, um, and I've uh, been, I worked on the railroad when I first got started in my career, and I had to work many times on very high bridges with, uh, with just a, a, a safety cord attached to me, walking across eight-inch beams, sometimes 150 feet high with just rocks down there at the bottom. And then there was other times in the sign business that I had to work that I was, I was up at least 115, 20 feet in the air, uh, attached to nothing but a, a cord uh, above the ground. And there was nothing but my nerve to hold me from falling to my death. And every time I slipped or lost my footing, which happens, it stroked an ember of fear in my soul like nothing else has in my whole life when you're up that high. But I was used to it. I was young, crazy. Now, how many of you are afraid of heights? That's, that's not unusual. Uh, most people are. I am now. I never was, but I am now because I haven't got stable feet anymore. But when you're placed in a very high place, standing in a very high place, in a very vulnerable position, you are reminded very quickly <laughs> of how, how fragile you are and, and, and your mortality is brought to light. When you look down, it really sets in. Would anybody would ever work, work with me up in those high places, I'd say, you know, you, you just watch what I'm going to do, but don't be looking down too much. I said, because you'll lose your balance. And just watch what we're doing, keep your eyes on that, and you'll do fine. Now think about it. When you're at a theme park and you're at the very top of the ride and you look down, you begin to think, man, I hope this cable holds, don't you? Or when you're in a plane. You ever been in a plane in, in high turbulence? Yeah, we, just recently, just recently, my wife and I flew out of Albany. And they canceled most of the flights, and the one pilot says, we're going to try to make it. Can you imagine saying that to the people that are in the plane? We're going to try to make it. And the wind was like 50, 60 mile an hour gust, and they had to take a different way up. And he says, we're going to, he even told us, the pilot, we're going to go up this way, and we're going to bank to the left, and he says, and hopefully get a gust of wind to lift us up off the ground. And I'm thinking, don't tell me this stuff. And literally, as we, walk, if we, as we took off in the thing, that plane, I've never seen anything like it. It just shook and shook, and all the cabinet doors opened. Everything fell onto the ground, and people are screaming and yelling. And, uh, and, and we're, he's still ascending. He's still going up, and he's got her full bar. But it was only for about 40 seconds. That's all it was. Once he broke that barrier, that wind barrier, and got up, it was smooth sailing after that. But I want to tell you something. On that moment, I was looking out those windows. And I was saying, man, I hope those wings don't break. I hope this thing doesn't come apart. Now, you know, once the fear escapes you, the fear of dying escapes you, you are no longer afraid of the fall. We live in a fallen state, everybody. Because of our sin, and without a fear of the consequences of that fall, we no longer fear God. And that's what's happening in America right now. They're in a fallen state, but they're no longer in fear of the fall, of the consequences of the fall. So that, therefore, they no longer fear God. You see, committing sin no longer makes us afraid of the consequences of the fall. 
I thought about that. This is very, there is a, a, a very little fear of God in America right now, and as a result, there's no longer a fear of hell. In fact, it's almost a joke to people right now. A pastor, a friend of mine in Florida, says this. I thought this was comical. He says, I was telling him about it. I preached at his church, and I was telling him about, I was sitting in there having a dinner with him afterwards, and there was a sign out there. I said, see that sign right there? It was about 200 feet in the air. I said, you should work on those signs like that. He goes, that's against the will of God. And I said, what do you mean that's against the will of God? He said, anything over six inches off the ground is against the will of God because God said, lo, I am with you always. <laughs> you know, when you look down into hell, it's scary because according to the Bible, you don't see bottom. Now, here's what I have. I have a theory about this. And if my science is right, the theory works. Because the Bible implies that hell is in the center of the earth, if there was a hole that went straight through the earth and came out the other side, say like China, and you fell down that hole, at some point, gravity is going to work against you, not for you. In other words, as it pulls you down and you get to the center, right, you would be ended, ended up going out the other side. And you're not going to shoot out the other side. Gravity and that side will hold you. So here's the idea that I think that God was talking about here. You know, don't hold this to me or call me heretical or anything. But I think people, when they go into hell, they're suspended right there in the center of the earth. And that's what's called the bottomless pit. Because either way you go, there's no way out. There's no end to the fall. If this is true and my science is correct, there are millions and millions of souls there who have rejected the offer of Jesus Christ. And they're suspended there in the middle of the earth with no hope of ever freeing themselves. Now tell me that's not a sobering thought. Oh, what a dreadful thought. There are people in hell that are now hanging, they're suspended, all because they refused the outstretched hand of Jesus Christ. That's all it was. All they had to say was, yes, Lord. That's it. They didn't have to do anything else. Repent of their sins, yes. Change their way of thinking, but... Say, yes, Lord, I'm all, all yours. I'm all yours. These are the ones who thought they could get away with enjoying the pleasures of this world without facing the consequences of their fallen state. That's all it is. They are the ones that thought their good deeds outweighed their bad deeds, and somehow God is going to give them a pass on it as well. The truth is the, uh, the good works that they were counting on to save them followed them right down into the pits of hell. But aren't you glad Isaiah tells us that right up until a person's death, right up until a person's death, God's hand is still outstretched. Right up to the very last moment. That's why I believe in deathbed conversions is because I've had several of them in my life. I've watched them people give their life to Christ that last moment before they give their life up. In fact, my aunt, I remember my aunt, uh, she was screaming in pain. She was in so much pain. She had uterine cancer and she was in, and it was just awful. And I came in there, she and I and had the whole family was there. I said, Can I can I get everybody's attention for a minute? Can I just share with you about Jesus? And she said, Please do. And I did. And she gave her life to Christ right there in that hospital bed, just hours before she went into eternity. And a smile came over her face in that pain, and she says, I feel different right now. Amen. And I mean, the family just looked around like, what just happened in here? That You know, just give them the gospel, amen? 
keep them out of hell. We just got to be uh, bold enough and, and, and uh, uh, with, you know, bold enough and strong enough, I guess, to stand up to the temptations of you to not do it or the flesh resistance that's within you and do it. Here's another thing. When you look down into hell, you'll hear the bewailing of people. Jesus over and over again said that weeping and gnashing of teeth are the sounds you hear in hell. That's the sound you hear. They are the sounds of suffering. There is nothing worse in this life than hearing a person suffer in pain. Nothing. But nothing can compare to the sounds of suffering the Bible tells us we'll hear in hell. Why? Millions and millions of people screaming out. Seeking relief, but there's none available to them. It's hard to imagine, actually. It's hard to imagine the sinless Son of God. Now think about this, because this is what I do. This is one of the things that me and your pastor are, uh, I think, alike on. We just can look into the Bible and we can imagine things and, and how and what was said and how it affected, you know, personally. And, and during the time period that you're in, you know, whatever. But can you imagine that Jesus, the Son of God, had to descend down into hell and he had to hear the suffering. He had to hear the screaming of the people he created to be with him for all of eternity. I mean, the suffering of the cross was bad enough to take the physical pain, but can you imagine the emotional pain of, of being descending down, because he did. He descended down. He went to preach to the captives. He was the first one with the gospel. Take the gospel to the word. He took it to the hell first. And to descend down in there and hear people screaming, his own people that he created for himself. I, I just can't imagine that. Can you imagine that? That's our Savior. That's what he did for us. Think about it. The cross was bad enough, but Christ actually saw and heard the screams of the suffering souls he created for himself. Every time I see people and they're lamenting over their death of their loved ones, it hurts me. I don't care who it is. But nothing hurts me more than thinking someone I love is in hell or is going to hell because they won't trust in Jesus Christ. And nothing bothers me more personally if I don't have enough gumption... <laughs> to say something to them before they actually end up there. I hate to see people in pain. I hate it. I hate it. I, I literally, I've said this, if I haven't said this a hundred times, every time I see one of my grandchildren in pain over something, I say, Lord, if you want to take my life and that relieves them of that pain, I, that's fine with me. That's how much I hate to see people I love in pain. Oh, my friends, if you choose to look down, you will hear bewailing sinners crying out for Jesus to send someone, anyone, to reach their families with the gospel. The question tonight is, can that someone be you? Could God trust you to do that? Thirdly, when you look down into hell, you'll feel the burden of darkness. The burden of darkness. You know, when God sent darkness over to the land of Egypt, he called it a thick darkness. You know, it means you could feel it. It's the worst darkness known to man. It's so heavy, it's hard to breathe when you're in it. And the closest thing, because I've counseled people my whole life, the closest thing to it, and I even experienced for a while myself, that I can relate to it is the anxiety that comes from depression. 
If you're suffering from depression or have suffered from depression any time in your life, I want to tell you, it's a very dark experience. If you've ever had a severe anxiety or clinical case of it, you know a little bit about what I'm talking about right now as I preach or who's listening on this, uh, on this phone call. You know what happens? Your chest begins to get heavy and you feel like you can't breathe. And then what happens is darkness sets in where you can't see any light. It's the most intensely restricting experience that I've ever witnessed when counseling somebody in that. And to be honest with you, I haven't had much success in that area, counseling of people in that area, except for one man. I remember one man, um, I, we got to the root of the problem and he got completely delivered from it. And his life went on. Uh, he's got a very happy life now with a wife and, and everything. But at times, he said he felt like taking his own life. That's that darkness. You can't escape it because you have to live in it for all of eternity. That's why we have a Savior, amen. amen. That's why we have the Scriptures. Do you realize that Job went through all of his suffering? He didn't have pills. He didn't have the Bible. <laughs> he just worshipped his Lord. Amen. And that's how he got through that. That's why we have been offered salvation now to, keep a, to give us light and to spare us from this darkness. You know, Jesus said this. It really takes new meaning when you hear him say this. I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. That's the one verse I use with people that are in depression that always seems to get their attention. I am the light that came into, uh, I, am, I am come a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. I tell people, you want to wipe that darkness away, you first got to get the light in to disperse the darkness, and that's Jesus. There was one time this type of darkness happened in the earth where it was the most intense, and that's when Jesus hung suspended on that cross between heaven and hell. It brought deep darkness over all the world, unlike any other time in human history. The Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season. Yes, it is, or for a moment. But then it brings in this, these deep, dark moments of despair and guilt as the consequences follow right behind it. Jesus can change all that, everybody. Amen. Yes, he can. Now, don't miss what I'm about to say. I say this to every person I've ever counseled. And I don't want you to miss this because I think it'll help you at some point in your life. There are some things you'll never be able to change. The past is the past. You're not going to be able to change them. There are some things you'll never, you'll never be able to correct. What's done is done. You're not going to be able to correct it. And there are some things you can never cure. And that's because it's his will is his will. You'll have mercy on who will have mercy on. Now, he does heal people. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying some people, it's for his glory. But don't ever forget this, my friends. There is nothing you can't conquer in, with, and through Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I remember my, my sister-in-law, uh, she went to her deathbed at an early age from liver cancer. And I remember her saying, she says, 
I'm, I'm not at all mad at God for getting this. She says, I'm just going to use it for his glory. And she went to her grave that way. God. It was wonderful just to watch her. She had, me, she had me speak at her funeral. Here's the next thing. When you look down into hell, you'll smell the burning of flesh. I have to be very careful when I say, you know, get into this one. If you look down into hell, the Bible implies you, will, you would be able to smell the literal sense, uh, sense of suffering or the sense of death. These are very sad things to have to say. You would not only smell the burning fire, but you would also smell death. And, the, and I can tell you this personally. The smell of burning flesh is awful. Now, I, I let on to it a little bit last night, and I experienced it, but I won't belabor this awful point because I already shared it. But nothing gets your attention like burns. You know, before I got burned, the, the thought of being burned and the awful aspects of it was not a great fear of mine. I used to play with fire all the time. But I'm glad they saved my leg, amen? But they could have it if it would keep me out of hell. They could have had it. I would have gladly given it up. If you listen to what Jesus said when it comes to, to your body parts. He said Matthew 5, 29, in Matthew 5, 29 through 30, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee, for it is, it, for it is proper for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, and cast it from thee, for it is proper for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. I can stand here and honestly say to you, if it was going to take cutting off my leg to keep me out of hell, so be it. So if you, if you look down, you're going to see the bottomless pit. These are the five senses, by the way. You're going to hear the bewailing people. You're going to feel the black darkness. You're going to smell the burning flesh. And lastly, and the good news is this. With Jesus Christ, you won't have to taste the bitterness of death. Amen. You just won't have to taste the bitterness of death. When you take your last breath here, the very next breath you take is in the presence of Jesus. Just a glimpse of hell leaves the bitter taste of death in your mouth. Listen to what Jesus said in John 8:51, and we'll close. Jesus said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Right? Now that see, that word for see, has the idea of taste. And you know why I know that? Because listen to the, how the, the unbelieving Jews responded to that statement. This is what they said. Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never they didn't say see. They said he shall never taste of death. And this is exactly what Jesus meant. And this is exactly what, I, what I'm preaching right now. And this is exactly what I want you to know in your hearts. Under the blood of Jesus Christ, you never have to taste that experience. You never have to taste that bitterness of death, of hell, or that separation from God. Hell is, a, is as real as heaven. And, and what Jesus said is still true. If a man keep my saying, 
He shall never see death. He'll never taste death. If you've ever been on the bedside of someone that is unsaved and someone is saved, there's a big difference. Because the one's ready to go and the other's holding on. That's all it is. One is fearless and the other is fearful. Hell is as real as heaven. The bitter end is the conclusion of a difficult or unpleasant situation. You know, when we all die, just before we die, it's not going to be easy, usually. Getting old isn't for wimps. I can tell you that right now for those things going on in my body right now. You, you just got to bear it, and you got to get through it. It doesn't get any easier. Um, I remember that I was just talking about this with the, the family, one of the families here today, or the other day. I had a friend in church. He was 98 and a half years old when he died. But around 95, he, he had to have, or 93 or 95, he had to have some operations. Now listen to me. He's had can, he had cancer three times, the worst kinds, stomach cancer, uh, lung cancer, and I forget the other. And he survived all three of those cancers. He was, he was the most tenderest man I had ever met in my life. And, he, and just before he died, he had heart problems, and he, and he got, called me to his house one day, and he said to me, I'm 95 years old. He says, don't you think <laughs> that maybe I could get a break here just before I die? And I said, Willis, listen to me. I says, you're always going to walk by faith until you have sight. And he's always going to build that faith or work on that faith until you have sight. I said, so it doesn't matter. I said, you just keep looking to the one who is your sight. Amen. And I want to tell you something. He just smiles for a minute. He says, bring on the operation. We'll go through it. The worst thing about hell is being there and realizing you didn't have to be there. The rich man, every time I read that story, never thought he was going to end up there, did he? That, my friends, is a bitter ending. And the first thing he did is cry out to Abraham to send somebody to his family. The happy ending comes with knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. So I cry out to you all tonight. The best news of this message is in this last moment. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Do you know everyone in hell is there because the world tasted better to them? That's all it is. But the word of God says, take a taste of Jesus. Just take a taste of him and you'll taste everlasting life. Amen. This will be the will of God. This will be your life for eternity, both now and forever. Do you, all under, do you all understand that God didn't make hell for us? I don't think most people understand that. It was never intended to be his children's eternal home. He made it for Satan and his angels, and because we chose to disobey him and reject his offer, without any regard for him or his warnings about sin, there was no other place for him to send us. 
Yes, he does. He sends us into hell. If his kingdom of righteousness is perfect, sin cannot be allowed in. Because it was never intended that way, uh, to be other, any other way. So he had no other place to send us than to the hell he made for Satan and his angels. But the sinner can freely come into his presence clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Any sinner can come clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, escape hell, and enter straight into heaven. You can't blame God for sending anyone to hell because of sin. But you can thank God for providing a way out of the hell under his blood. Amen? That's something to shout about. Amen. That's something to get on the mountaintops about. Amen? Amen? So if there's anyone here who is without full assurance they will escape hell, please look down into hell. Convince, let it convince you to look up to Jesus. As, a, as that deacon told Spurgeon, look and live. Just look and live. Just call out to him right now. The word is nigh unto thee, it says in the Bible, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Do you know what that means? All that means, it simply means that salvation doesn't get any closer to you than right now, this moment. Right now, this very second, it hasn't gotten any closer to you than it has through this message, through the word of God. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shall believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Oh, please call out to him right now and be saved. Call out to him right now and be saved. But I would assume most of us here are believers. For all the believers that are here tonight, let the passion of pity for those who are in hell drive you, just drive you to reach those who are not there yet in hell, but are headed there because they've rejected Jesus Christ. A Bible description of hell should drive you to your knees and compel you to want to fulfill his passion. Where's Christ in all of this? What is he calling you to do right now? Who is he calling you to reach? What is he asking you to do? You know, one, one um, I, I close with this. I, one um, thing, um, I, we have been blessed to put several men into ministry in our church. And uh, one of the things that they say to me, most often they come up to me and they say, Pastor, um, how do you know that God is calling you? You know what I tell them? When you ask that question. Right? When you ask that question, how do I know what God's calling me to do or if he's calling me? When you ask that question, he's calling you. And he's calling you to do something maybe that you don't want to do or should do. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, looking down into the depths of the bottomless pit, who is God calling tonight to make a difference? Maybe it's to be saved. 
Maybe it's to enter into ministry. Maybe it's to get more involved in this church. Maybe it's to be more faithful to a spouse or to prayer. I don't know what it is, but God knows and you know because he's calling you to do it right now. Maybe there's somebody on your mind tonight that you know is only a breath away from hell right now and you know it's close because they're either sick or they're despondent or they're rejecting or whatever. And maybe God's putting that, that person on your heart right now. And he's probably done that because you're the one he wants to go. You know, not everybody can reach everybody, but everybody can reach somebody. Let this sink in as I ask preacher to come up here and, and give an imitation. <clears throat>